Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Uh, it feels rather strange, but in many ways, it's really, really good to be back. Hi, everyone. This is Rob McNichol welcoming you to the first ever Hooked On podcast. It's been a very, very long time since I've uh, been on the airwaves on the podcasting. Please bear with me. But those of you that uh, used to listen to the One-Sided Ring to WrestleCast, other things I've done in the past, thank you for coming back. For those of you that have been loyal Hooked On supporters, and you know who you are, Thank you for listening to this. And for all of you that are brand new, well, we hope you're going to enjoy this brand new little venture, which is going to be between myself, Rob McNichol. I'm a former writer for The Sun, for various other publications to do with wrestling. And I'm joined by my longtime personal friend, collaborator with Hooked On Events and Hooked On Wrestling, an all-round good guy. Here is, welcome, showbiz Paul Benson. Paul, how are you doing? <laughs> Thanks, Rob. I was wondering you throw the showbiz one in. Uh, yeah brilliant mate thanks for having me on thanks for getting together on this i'm really excited about what we're going to do um and i'm pleased that my podcasting debut will be in your capable hands well that's the, that's the way it should be i should also point out that i'm the only person in the world that calls paul showbiz paul benson um, <laughs> the more you get to know him on these podcasts the more you're going to understand why now paul before we get into a little bit about who we are because i don't expect people to know who uh, who you and i are at this stage we do need to say what who we are and what we represent and i'm saying that this is from hooked on wrestling hooked on events the hooked on podcast you tell us because this is actually really your baby and your brainchild what is hooked on and where are we right now Okay, mate. Well, Hooked On um, started as a concept uh, about five years ago now, it must be, um, when you and I got together with a couple of our good friends, Patrick Lennon, who a lot of you will know uh, from the Daily Star and other ventures, um, and another good friend, Dan Ferdinand, who is not as well known in wrestling circles, but a very talented writer, very talented collaborator. Um, and we had the idea of putting together an online magazine, um, one that would be iPad only, um, um, distributed um, on the uh, what, uh, the app store, I guess it would be, mm-hmm. um, and we'd talk about wrestling through a positive lens because we were all so sick of all the negativity and the rumour-mongering and the nonsense, and we wanted to put something out there um, that was a great, you know, showed how great wrestling is and how much we all enjoyed it and we didn't need to be so cynical. Um, anyway, that failed fairly miserably. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm going ju- to jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, right. And I'm going to say it did. It, it failed in one respect, in that it never really took off and it never really got out there. I still maintain we put a nice little product together. A few people, quite a few people, in fact, bought the product and and read our magazine. Our failure was with the platform, wasn't it? We struggled with the platform. We didn't have the investment. And in the end, we all had our own little ventures going on. And so it, it dissolved. But it's always been in there in the background. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, like, just not to get too boring into it, but I think the real reason is because we completely mis- misunderstood the platform. Um, we were living right on the cusp of an age where social media was going to be taking over the news gathering services. You know, you've got all these great, great ways of consuming wrestling news up to date, you know, really good articles, really good rumors, whatever you want to get into. Um, all free, all in your hand, all the time. Um, and I think we just didn't see that coming. Uh, and it came quite quickly, and we obviously as a paid for magazine weren't as convenient weren't as accessible um and weren't as immediate and that was it dead in the water but it did give us a chance to sort of poll the wrestling uh, fan culture out there um and quite soon after um we well do you know what rob i'm gonna let you tell this part you tell this story so much better than i do so you you tell us how these parties sort of started the genesis of everything but you know what i'm gonna do this in a non-linear fashion and we're gonna be like pulp fictionists we're gonna come back to that and get to where we <laughs> and get to where we are get to what the story is, is about how the band got together in a way and how we got to the hooked on events parties but this is the main reason for these podcasts it's twofold isn't it paul it's the reason for we're doing these podcasts is for two reasons. One, we want to spread the word about the hooked on events that we do all around the country. I am going to throw it back to you in a second. You're going to tell us what we're up to for the Raw Rumble. The second is that me and you speak on the phone loads. We talk about wrestling. We're always positive, like you just said. And actually, wouldn't it be fun to not only spread that uh, amongst our listeners, amongst our hooked on followers, but also we're going to be getting lots of our of our friends that are uh, around the wrestling industry uh, to come on and have a chat. And we're going to have a few podcasts all about the Royal Rumble, which is coming up. I secretly think that the Royal Rumble is everyone's favourite pay-per-view, really. People say WrestleMania is the big one and people travel to America and it's very cool, but everyone loves the Rumble. So we're going to be doing some some Rumble chat in the next few weeks and getting some people on. Me and Paul have both got backgrounds in the media side of wrestling and that's really where we're going to tap into we're going to try and get some of our friends from that side of thing to come on and join us uh, and talk about wrestling and the rumble in specific and the reason why is listen we are not for a second um thinking that we're going to come flying into the podcast world and take it over there are the most amazing podcasts out there already and we can't compete in certain ways we're not wrestlers like steve austin and rick flair we're not industry people like jim ross or like vince russo or like bruce pritchard we're not indie wrestlers that have wrestled all over the world and do a great job on that front like someone like Colt Cabana. We're not even any one of the uh, indie federations or the only uh, the, the things that are here in the UK which are doing a great job and they're supporting the podcast waves as well. We're not any of those, but we're going to come at it from a slightly different perspective from our media side of things. And we'll hopefully be having a chat as we go along with um with paul and with other people about some of our experiences on that side of things i think it's going to be a bit of a unique perspective that's why i want to hold on to a couple of stories in terms of how me and you met paul and how we started doing the hooked on parties but right now before we get into the meat of this uh, the podcast which is going to be talking some royal rumble stuff i want you to tell us what is happening in the uk january the 29th when the royal rumble is on over in the states what are we doing in the uk all over the country and how can people enjoy it in the best way possible? Okay, Rob. Yeah, well, as some of you will already know, uh, and hopefully a few of you will be finding out for the first time, um, what Ogden does now is it hosts pay-per-view parties up and down the country. Um, and we like to think we probably throw the best ones in the country. Um, I'm sure a few people would have something to say about that, and rightly so. But for the Royal Rumble, we are going to be running um, six cities we are going to be running London, which is kind of our home base, where we're going to be at Walkabout Temple, which is right in the River Thames. It's 
far and away the best sports bar in London. I would argue the best sports bar in the country. Um, we're also going to be running uh, Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, Cardiff um, and Birmingham for the first time. Um, and those five cities are all going to be um, shooter sports bars who are great supporters of ours. Um, the format of the night is, is quite simple, but great fun. So obviously we show the Royal Rumble itself live at midnight. Um, but we're also going to be throwing a load of stuff around that. It's not just getting people into a bar to watch the event itself. We have a pub quiz that seems to go down fantastically well all the time. We have fancy dress competitions. We have wrestling tunes on all night um, with our great DJ Steve, who runs it live in uh, London and supplies the tunes for the rest of the parties. Um, and it's a way for wrestling fans like us, instead of sitting on our sofas and watching at home with Twitter in one hand and a beer in the other, to get together, make some new friends, get involved in the atmospheres and you know we you know not to cut a story that we're going to get to later but when we started these out we had no concept of how massive and how fantastic the atmosphere was going to turn into and i can honestly say some of the moments we've had in the past ones that spring to mind rollins winning the title at wrestlemania 31 aj styles coming out of the rumble last year genuine hairs on the back of your neck moments because of the atmosphere it would be in. And if you're not in those arenas or in those stadiums for these events, you will not have a better chance to watch these events than at the hooked on parties. That's so true. And you know what? I think that some of the shows are made better by being at the rumble parties because there's a hell of a lot of the, the rumble parties, the WrestleMania parties, the SummerSlam parties, because I've been at those and watched shows and come out going, wow, that was a great show. And then gone online and actually the reception is a little bit more negative and, I've then gone to, uh, you know, to watch it again a few weeks later and I've not enjoyed it as much. And actually sometimes being around fans, it's a really good positive way of doing things. I liken it to live comedy. It's always nice to watch a, you know, a DVD of your favourite sitcom or your favourite stand-up in, in the comfort of your living room with a nice glass of red. But there's something about being in a theatre or being in a comedy club and, and just hearing that, you know, laughter come all around you. And it's a similar thing with wrestling. And the one match I think of that's never going to go down as an all-time classic, but Triple H versus Sting at WrestleMania a, a couple of WrestleManias <laughs> ago with all the NWO coming in and DX coming in, plenty of detractors of that match. You may be one of those listening right now, but I tell you what, that was so fun watching that with 600 other wrestling fans in, in that all packed into, well, not even packed into, it's a massive place, but all into the Walkabout Temple in London and watching that. It was the most fun. And Paul is so right in terms of the uh, the atmosphere and it creates. I always think there's a bit of a, a brotherhood, sisterhood within wrestling, which is that in normal society, shall I call it normal? In normal society, you don't talk about your, you know, your wrestling fandom all that much in case people look down on you. But you know what? When you're in that kind of place, you don't need to hide it. So whatever part of it is a part of your life that you sometimes feel you need to hide, you don't need to hide it at these wrestling parties. And the cool thing is we have had so many people, Paul, haven't we, and all sorts of ones all over the country that they come on, people come on their own. It's not like you have to come with two, five, six, ten mates. Although if you do, brilliant, because it's a great night out between you. But if you want to come on your own, do you know what? You're so welcome because you can sit at the bar and watch the world go by. But a lot of people have made friends, lifelong friends, dare I say, from coming to these pay-per-view parties. It's a very cool thing. Now, we're, at a minute, we're going to stop talking about it and then we're probably going to come back to it because we don't want to think you're going to listen to a half an hour advert podcast. We are going to talk about some other stuff as well. But the last note I want to make, Paul, on, on these kind of things is that 
it's like you say, it's the whole package of the evening. So if you come at five to twelve, you'll have a good night, won't you, by watching the podcast, uh, by watching the podcast, by watching the pay per view, <laughs> sure. and by uh, getting the environment. But if you come at any point during the night, if you wear fancy dress or if you don't, it's not compulsory, but it is encouraged. That's the cool part, isn't it? The build up. It's not your pre show with Booker T talking nonsense with Renee Young. It's a real proper pre show for several hours with us having a great deal of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's we when we started running these we would literally just take a bar put the show on and it was great fun but very quickly we realized that people just want a bit more of that you know you're in you've got the atmosphere you've got the people let's do something a little bit different and you know I, the, the most fun i see is everybody they've had a few drinks maybe turned up dressed as their favorite wrestler you know finn balor kevin owens gold dust some guy even came dressed as a WCW world title belt once. Um, <laughs> seeing him get on stage with the entrance music coming on, you know, Nakamura or whatever you might be, and just absolutely getting into character and showing everybody in the bar how much fun they have as a wrestling fan. And like Rob said, you're in a room surrounded by fans, surrounded by people who are into it just as much as you are. And I love to see all the people that turn up on their own. And I always say, you come on your own, you won't leave by yourself. You're going to leave with friends. You're going to leave with a great new social circle. And I love saying that when I see people post about the fact that they can't find any friends to come on Facebook. Come on your own. Enjoy the show. Leave with some more friends. Definitely. Yeah, you we'll buy Buy us a beer. We'll come along and be your friend. <laughs> yes, that's, a good, that's an excellent thing. Uh, uh, side of me, um, gluten-free Rob, I can't drink the beer, but a side will be encouraged. Maybe a record leg, that's some nice stuff. Um, I sound like I'm plugging for all these uh, different companies now. Uh, we'll, do, we'll, we'll get a nice little deal out of this. Um, uh, so, yes, truecar.com. Oh, no, wait, so that's a different, that's a different podcast entirely, isn't it, plugging? Um, back to the uh, back to the, the shows themselves. You mentioned the Nakamura guy. Man alive, he was good. Someone came dressed uh, as Nakamura at the uh, SummerSlam parties, and not only did he have the uh, the outfit, but his mannerisms. He had the whole lot down. The crowd absolutely loved it. He won our uh, he won our prize that night. We give loads of things away. We give prizes away for the best fancy dress. We give prizes away for the winners of the quiz. We give prizes away for the best team name in the quiz. We've got other stuff that we give out all night. Sometimes we have uh, at WrestleMania. We tend to have raffles. There's all things that go on. And on this podcast, we are going to give away today on this podcast two tickets to any. Raw Rumble Party of your choosing, anywhere the, the ones that we're running all over England, uh, if you win our quiz. Now, it's a fiendish little quiz. We're going to do three questions later on in this podcast. And I am going to state, and Paul has insisted that I state, that the questions on this podcast are of a much harder standard than the ones on the night. And they're not easy on the night. They're challenging, but they're inclusive and you're wrestling fans and you get put, put a team together and you'll get some. For this podcast, we put together some fiendish ones. A little bit Google proof, maybe, but we want to see how well you do. So we're going to ask you to send in your answers towards the end of this podcast uh, and before the uh, next one, which we're going to record uh, hopefully between Christmas and New Year, then we'll be able to um, uh, give away a couple of those tickets uh, for the Rumble Party of your choosing. Now, still to come on this podcast, we are going to talk about how the Hooked On shows come together. We're going to talk a little bit about how me and Paul first became friends and the night in which we first met is a great great story we'll be going to talk about not just today but in the future podcasts about some of our favorite stories from our interactions around wrestling and hopefully as we go along you'll get to learn a little bit more about who we are and where we came from we're also going to talk about our favorite rumbles thoughts on this show 
uh, thoughts on this year's show, I should say, a few predictions, some Mania match speculations, and lots more. But what I want to get into, I want to get into some of your wrestling credentials, Paul. What is the first Royal Rumble that you remember watching? Not the best, not one that you vaguely, the first one that when you were a fan and you were watching the Rumble and you were well into it. Where would we go back to? Okay, mate. Well, I, I will say that um, the first also happens to be the best. Not trying to steal your thunder from later, but my first Royal Rumble was 1992. Um, my mum's boyfriend at the time had Sky. So to me, he was God. And uh, he was bringing me these wrestling shows on tape. The first match I'd seen was from SummerSlam 91, the Mountie against the Big Boss Man. The loser goes to jail match. But the first pay-per-view that I watched in its entirety was Royal Rumble 92. I was absolutely hooked, enamoured. That was it for me. Were you hooked, that, on, were you hooked on wrestling? I was hooked on wrestling. From that pay-per-view onwards, I was a wrestling fan for life. It was such a great show, such uh, an, an eye-opener for something I'd never seen before. And, you know, lo and behold, it happens to be the best Royal Rumble of all time. But I remember distinctly having got wrestling figures for Christmas that year. Um, I don't know anybody as old as me and Rob will remember there was a few different types of wrestling figures in the early 90s. You had the great WWF ones with the articulated limbs and the great plastic movements. And then you had the WCW ones, which are like lumps of hard resin. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to have a Ric Flair, one of those. I was very, very, very disappointed when he went on and run the Royal Rumble simply because he was a crap action figure. That was all I knew about him at that point. I didn't know that he was multiple time world champion, one of the greatest ever, would go on to become a legend in WF as well as WCW and whatever. At that moment, he was just a terrible, inarticulated action figure who I was devastated to see win for that sole reason and that was my first rumble and that is what matters to you when you're about nine was I think I'm trying to work out roughly how old you would be at that I point but, would uh, have been 10 yeah 10, yeah. 10. And, and arguably still matters to me now <laughs> but here's here's the thing to point out everyone when Paul says people about as, as old as we are he's older than me I was not quite eight <laughs> I was not quite eight when it came to that uh, that rumble but I do remember it's definitely it's my first rumble as well the first um, pay-per-view I ever saw was uh, was SummerSlam 91, just as you just mentioned about that um, uh, Mountie versus, uh, versus Boss Man match. And uh, in a very cool story, I'll try not to drop too many uh, names as we go along. In... Actually, I will. I like dropping names. Let's as, drop names. As, as for you. The Mountie and the Boss Man, two men that you've, you've dressed up as at, at the uh, our fancy dress parties, I should point out as well. Um, but uh, I actually had the privilege right. of working with the Mountie, with Jacques Rougeau, uh, last year at the London Wrestling Convention, which I hosted for PSI events. Um, so yes, if you've, ever, if you've ever been to any of those uh, PSI event shows with uh, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Chris Jericho, Jim Ross, all over the country, um, you know the irritating fat bloke that comes on first and wastes your time before the uh, the main talent comes on? Yeah, that's me too. Um, but I hosted the London Wrestling Convention and Jacques Rougeau was there and I actually got to do a little bit of promo stuff with him. Now I'm, I am not by any stretch uh, a worker, a wrestler, a commentator, a manager, I have no desire to be. I wouldn't be very good. Um, but in the uh, in the spirit of how things were going, he came over and he was basically making fun of the fact that I wasn't saying his name properly. Um, but he cut a pro, he took the mic off me and he cut a promo on me and I uh, had a little bit of a go back and we had a bit of a back and forth for a couple of days during that convention. It was the most fun. He was doing, he knew what he was doing. He did it with a twinkle in his eye and he winked and I knew that he was uh, messing around. He was an absolutely lovely fella and I got to tell him that that was the first pay-per-view I ever saw and it really genuinely helped me become a wrestling fan. 
and that was a very cool experience being able to uh, to share that with him. But uh, that is, an, I think, it is an iconic rumble for for many many reasons. And I'm going to move the uh, the topic along ever so slightly from uh, all of our yesterdays. But I think it's to do with the fact that before that, if you go back and watch those old rumbles, they're fun and it's a, it's a, a spectacle, and certainly they're dressed up as being these unique matches. But um, not only was it, you know, a little bit of a foregone conclusion the previous two years that, that Hogan just kind of won quite easily, but there was nothing on it. It's, it seems weird now to think that the Raw Rumble was just a match and it didn't really matter who won and lost. It was just, mm-hmm. there's Big John Studd winning the Rumble. There's Hackshaw Jim Duggan winning the Rumble. There's the world champion Hulk Hogan winning the Rumble and it didn't really mean anything. But when Flair was in that one, not only was it a wonderful performance by Rick, but by Bobby Heenan on commentary, by several other wrestlers in the match, by the whole booking of the uh, of the event. But it was the fact that it was for the, the vacant um, WWF title at the time, and then subsequently the, the winner was getting a, a title shot at WrestleMania. I really feel that's when the Rumble changed, because it had something on it. And had Flair not had that incredible performance, had that just been a, a bog-standard Rumble, Hogan comes out at 28 and wins the title again... I'm not sure the Rumble would necessarily have taken off in the way that it did. Not so early, anyway. What do you think? I think, yeah, I think I probably agree with you on that one, actually. It's not something I've really thought about too much. But, yeah, can you imagine if they'd have just kept it as a showcase, as it was before? There's pros and cons. Like, you know, there's there's no jeopardy, really. It's just a match. Um, Similar to, I suppose, how King of the Ring was back in the day. You won the crown, you won the scepter. Kind of big deal, really. Um probably you would have been a guy either at the main event or a guy that was going to get pushed up the card. On the other side of the equation, you mentioned earlier, you remember there was a lot of foregone conclusions in the Royal Rumble and, you know, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, you kind of picked the winner um, before the event even started. That was because you knew that the guy who won was going to WrestleMania to main event, so it couldn't be a Dolph Ziggler, for want of a better word. Choice uh, a bit of name, should I say. But if there was no real consequences to who won and lost you could do that and maybe some of the rumbles would have been improved by that that's a fair point i've never actually thought about that that is a fair point and i've often wondered if maybe they would do that one day but they would Mm. have someone come out of nowhere and in a little while very short while we're going to uh, get hopefully into some of our but not necessarily predictions for uh, who's going to win this rumble well we could do that but i want to talk about who we think can win this year's Rumble. There'd be a certain amount of people. You just said about Dolph Ziggler. It seems very unlikely that at the stage, this stage of his career that he's going to be pushed into that that position. But who can and who can't win the Rumble is what we're going to talk about um, uh, slightly uh, in just a minute. Um, while we're on 1992, Paul, it does feel like this is the point. I mean, we we genuinely haven't sort of like scripted this to come together, but I think that, <laughs> I think that lots of people think 1992 is the best one. And since we're talking about uh, the nature boy, Ric Flair, and since we need to fill people in on uh, how you and I know each other, really, um, who's going to start by telling the story about the fact that the first time me and you met was around a large table in a very posh hotel in London with the nature boy on the end of it? Rob, you're a far better storyteller than I ever will be. And this is one of my all-time favorite stories that I tell anybody that I meet. So the floor's yours. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, on one condition that you get to tell the second half because I wasn't there for the second day, which is... Deal. Oh, Deal. my goodness. Still one of my big regrets. Um, <laughs> but let, let's whiz everyone up to speed very, very quickly. I used to work for uh, The Sun Wrestling. I used to do all the uh, a lot of the wrestling writing uh, for The Sun's website. 
Um, and there was a guy called Simon Rothstein, who um, uh, hopefully some of you are familiar with, who was the, the Suns wrestling writer for a long time, uh, and I was essentially his number two. Simon moved on to go and work for TNA in a, in a publicity capacity for, for many years. And when he left, it meant I sort of went up the, uh, up the roster, as it were, um, for writing for the Sun. Didn't fully take over the page, but I was the main writer, let's say. And it also meant I inherited a position on WrestleCast, which was a hugely popular podcast dare i say way ahead of its time because now wrestling podcasting is, is a really big thing and i know that the uh, the big shows like your austins and your jericho's and so so forth do at least seven figures i know that they're well over a million listeners for for some of their um episodes but way back when and i'm talking i think 10 years ago would have been the first wrestlecast around about there maybe a little bit afterwards wow. but we were doing for the, some of the bigger names that we had on, we were doing 150, 200,000 downloads easily. Um, and so it was a big deal in its time. You may know that uh, an interview that uh, Simon Rothstein, who I mentioned, and Joel Ross, who you know <laughs> is uh, uh, from one half of JK and Joel. He's now uh, doing brilliantly on uh, Heart Radio's breakfast show up in the Northwest. Hi, Joel, because I'm sure you'll be listening. Um, Joel and Simon did WrestleCast with uh, John Cena, and it's where Cena essentially, you know, in real terms, not in a kayfabe world, called out The Rock. And several years later, The Rock came back. That led to Cena versus Miz with The Rock in the, uh, as a, an enforcer or as a, the host of the show and got involved. And then two Cena-Rock matches. And that genuinely came, and it's been acknowledged by WWE on, on the documentary, that that came out of that WrestleCast. So WrestleCast has been influential. You might say it's a bad thing out there for uh, you non-John Cena fans. But uh, we at Hooked On, we're big Cena fans, aren't we, aren't we Paul? So um, uh, we love John. Absolutely. So uh, we are very proud, or well, I'm very proud anyway, that uh, WrestleCast was something to do with those bits of booking. But anyway, back to the relevant story. Um, we had I was inheriting WrestleCast along with Joel. And this was, uh, I forget what day of the week it was, let's call it a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday night, and the following morning on Wednesday morning, bright and early, me and Joel were booked in to interview the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, who had recently gone to TNA and was promoting the fact that he was going to be on the uh, the tour the following January. The Woo Tour, as he kept saying. And uh, this was about May or June, and we were promoting it for the following uh, for the following year. And Simon, working for TNA, called a bunch of us together. So the great and the good... Uh, of wrestling in the UK media were there. And I'm talking me, and I'm talking Joel, and I'm talking Pat, as you mentioned earlier on, Pat Lennon from the Daily Star, good friend of mine. Rob Lee, who was the main man at the Mirror at the time, good pal of mine, he was there. And a whole bunch of people that I had not met before, including uh, Lorna Gray, who worked for Cosmopolitan. She's now down in uh, Australia working for them. Hi, Lorna. First time I met her. I think it might have been the first time I met Rob, actually. But most importantly, Paul, it was the first time I met you. Why were you there? Um, I was actually there in a semi-official capacity because at the time I was working for an agency in London um, and we were representing the international sporting uh, broadcast rights, sorry, to various different um, sporting entities, UFC being one, TNA being another. Um, so for the majority of my career in sports marketing, I my main sole responsibility um, was to get TNA broadcast deals across the world. So um, in the UK, uh, India, South Africa, Australia, um, Italy, etc., etc. I can't claim full credit for all of them, um, but I certainly had a hand in that international expansion. And that's why I was there. I, see, I know all those things, and I actually wasn't listening to you then when you were saying it. All I was doing was thinking, I'm sure I've left out some people that were around that table that night. <laughs> one of them, one of them 
was uh, was Vikram Sangar, who, uh, if you've been to our shows in uh, in London, Vic is uh, often co-host with me. He's he's the glue that holds us together very, very often on a lot of these uh, a lot of these shows. He may not always be front and center, but uh, he's uh, he's beavering away in the background, getting a lot of things done. Hi, Vic. Anyway, Vic was there, and a whole bunch of people were there. But most importantly, Rick was there, and Simon had said to us, "Let's all get together." It was in a hotel there, just off Piccadilly, I think. I can't remember exactly what it was called. It was but, the Piccadilly, um, I believe. Was it the Piccadilly? Was it? I oh, believe it was. Well, it was. It was a hotel on that street, anyway, which is in London, by the way. If, if you've not been to the capital city, I shouldn't leave people out of uh, of uh, knowing those kind of things. So I travelled up. I live down in Devon, and I travelled up to uh, to do the interview. And uh, but Simon said, "Oh, here comes Rick. You know, he's going to be around for a little while, and he's going to say hi to you all and whatever." And we thought, "I'm going to say it, bullshit. He's going to come in. He's going to say hi. He's going to say he's tired because he's flown in. And understandably, after spending 20 minutes, you know, chit chatting for uh, for a tokenistic sake, he's going to go to bed. And I don't blame him because there was a whole bunch of people on a table that he'd never met before." And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have blamed him for uh, getting an early night and catching up on some Zeds. No, no, no. Not Nate. He came down <laughs> and he said to Simon, right, who's ordering the red wine then? Um, I would suggest that what would you say, Paul, would be a conservative estimate for? I would, let's say there were a dozen people around the table that night. I think that's, that's about right. Yeah. What would you say is a conservative estimate about the amount of bottles of red wine that were drunk that night? Night one. Conservative estimate would be about eighteen. Yeah, I'd say that. I was thinking that just under two per person. I'd say. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and because Rick probably boosted that up quite a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he likes his Pinot Noir. That was the next thing I was going to say. Pinot Noir was the uh, the red wine of choice. We all bowed down to uh, to what Nate wanted to uh, have us put away. It was all seriousness. We're we're messing around, but it was the most fun night because, um, not because well. Okay, we were marks. We put on the uh, Hall of Fame uh, gold watch. No, not the Hall of Fame gold watch. His retirement gold watch that Sean gave him. The Hall of Fame ring. We did four horseman poses. We were marks. But that is not really the main reason why I'm so excited. I was so excited about that night. It was because Rick was such a nice guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was absolutely fantastic. You know, I've been lucky enough to meet quite a few um, guys involved in wrestling over the years. Some of which have been absolutely fantastic. Others, others have been, you know. I've not met any out-and-out arses, really, but some not as interested in interacting with the, the great unwashed like ourselves. And I, I completely understand that. These guys have got a job to do. They're not there to entertain us when the cameras are off. Uh, but Rick was... You know, well, you know you've you've heard that expression, don't meet your heroes. Um, well, awesome. I couldn't, could not be further from the truth with Ric Flair. A gentleman an entertainer, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. There are people listening to this definitely saying, I've met Rick, may I've met Rick Flair and he was an idiot. He was an asshole, blah, blah, blah. Everyone is entitled to a bad day. All we're saying is in our experience on that night, he was Rick Flair, nature boy, styling, profiling the lot. Um, He was caught. Do you remember him calling people? Well, that was, Ah, in my head that was night two well he definitely did a bit of night uh, one when I was there yeah. because um, Lorna, was... Lorna who was with us from uh, Cosmopolitan and, and a friend of, of course, hers yeah. two very attractive girls and Rick looked past us to them quite a bit anyway he was chatting around and he said to Lorna I specifically remember it who's your favourite wrestler and she said Chris Jericho <laughs> Nate, Nate got his phone out he called Jericho he didn't answer which was a shame but Lorna got to leave a message on Jericho's answering machine because uh, Rick just decided to call him there and then and yes yeah, so we'll get on to a, a, a night two in just a second but I believe that that was quite the thing of night two wasn't it I think I think Piper got a call and Triple H and a few other people 
Yeah, that's right. Well, basically, we um, I'm sat in sat work the next day, feeling a bit worse to wear. Um, I get a phone call from Simon Rothstein saying, uh, Paul, Rick wants to talk to you. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So he puts the phone to me and he goes, and excuse the terrible impression. Just, <laughs> I was just going to say, it's impression time. <laughs> he goes, Paul, it's the nature boy. We're going out tonight. Bring some girls. I'll put you back onto Simon. And that was it. So, <laughs> Sorry. Is it as if the, the nature boy was born somewhere in South South Yorkshire, North Lincolnshire. Where are you from? Grimsby. <laughs> born there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I'm, I'm nature boy. <laughs> well, anyway, use your artistic license on that one. So um, I, being um, a good boy, didn't know of that many girls in my uh, speed dial that I could just call on a whim. But I found a couple of wrestling fans who'd be quite interested in coming out with us. So off we trotted back to the same hotel that night. Rick, a little bit more rested, um, in absolutely fantastic form. Uh, as Rob said, he, we, we had phone calls from to Roddy Piper, to Triple H, to a couple of basketballers. We had stories that I cannot repeat um, and would not repeat anyway. We had the robe come down from his room. Um, we had the works. We had the full Ric Flair experience. And it was absolutely, hands down, the greatest night of my life. <laughs> With a tear? In my eye, that was the greatest day of your life. Uh, and then it capped off the, the end of the night. Sorry, sorry to get so sort of indulgent. We won't make a habit of this. Yeah, we will. It, you speak for yourself. <laughs> I will get as indulgent as I want. I am back on the podcast wait, airwaves, wavelengths. I can't even speak because I'm so excited. I will overindulge. That's what I'm going to do. Enough. Fair enough. My The capper to the second night was, I guess, about two-ish and the waitress is come waitress at the bar comes to us and says, Come on guys, it's time to call it night. The bar's closing. And Rick's like, We're having a good time. It's early. We're going nowhere. Very polite, but very firm that we weren't going anywhere. So she tries again. Same response. And then she goes, Okay, well okay, this is your last chance, guys. You either go now or I'm gonna go and get the manager. <laughs> again, went in fell on deaf ears. So the next thing we know, the manager comes storming over. To a point, he came storming over anyway. As soon as he got to our table, he stopped, eyes wide open, turning his heel back to the bar. Comes back about two minutes later, no word of a lie, five bottles of Pinot Noir on a tray. <laughs> Puts them down in front of us, and he says to Rick, he said, uh, Rick, uh, I've been the bar manager here for 10 years. His name is Holger, German guy, Holger Morass, great guy. Um, I've been a bar manager here for 10 years. I've served rock stars. I've served film stars, heads of state, and I've never been more honored to have anyone in my bar than you are now. You guys stay as long as you want. I'll keep it open all night if needs be. He's been friends with me ever since. He's a great <laughs> with an attitude like that. How could he not be? Um, so we just... I have no idea what time that night ended. It was very messy and lots of fun. And uh, yeah, will never be repeated. I'd like to say, when you say he's been friends with you ever since, you mean Holger, don't you? I do, I as, do. As Vince would say, pronouns, damn it. <laughs> say who you're talking about. But I, I, was quite, I was quite impressed by the fact that uh, you remembered the guy's name until you said, oh, I've been friends ever since. I thought, bloody hell, he remembers. Because this, this was 
this was definitely 2010. I think it was about May, June 2010. So we're yeah. talking about six and a half years ago here. I thought he's remembered the bar manager's name. What a guy. <laughs> and actually, it just turns out you uh, you still know him. He's probably you just probably Correct. Facebook today. So that's uh, Correct. That's why. My little uh, insert into this story, which is uh, a small part, and we will move on to some more other, <laughs> other Rumble stuff. And uh, I was kidding about the... What was that? Was that a little, was that a little bit of ice going in the... Uh, in the what was that noise? <laughs> yeah, Sherlock, it was. Yeah, I'm just, uh, hey, that's back to January, January the first. Looking forward to that. Oh, me too. Um, <laughs> um, my little insert into the story is that uh, we did the interview the following morning after the first night. Um, I think it was about half nine. It was pretty early. Um, I don't remember feeling too ill. The first night wasn't necessarily uh, a really really late one, but uh, I was a little bit, uh, you know. Slightly worse for wear, and uh, off me and Joel went to uh, to do the podcast. I think we did that. The um, I think we did. It at the, I'm not sure if we did it at the Suns' offices, or we would sometimes hire out a um, uh, another recording studio. In fact, maybe it was at uh, it was at Bowers Studios in, in London. But we, we we got Rick in, and we and we did the uh, we did the interview, and um, it was it was really really good. And I have to say, from a um, from a professional perspective. People might disagree listen, listening to it. If you can, if you can go back and listen to WrestleCast with Flair, you, you tell me what you think. But I think it's better because we got to know him just that little bit the night before. And several times he goes, "Oh, we were talking about this last night." Now I'm never going to try and put it across that I am really great friends with any wrestler. There are probably five or six wrestlers in the world that you know, having watched on WWE, WCW, TNA, that would know me if I walked past them in the street probably about that because i've been out of it for a little while you know the kind of people that i could actually call and say it's it's robert nickel and they go oh hey how's it going they actually know who i am most others that i've encountered would probably they may remember if pushed probably not so i'm not trying to give myself a you know a big head here but it was a really cool thing that rick knew us from the previous night he had obviously got on okay with the with the group as a whole otherwise he would have just made his excuses and left and it ended up being a really fun laid-back interview i was pretty nervous that was my first wrestlecast interview joel's obviously a great professional sony award-winning you know he's absolutely outstanding but you know, that was my first uh, venture into into that side of things. So it was um, at least on the, on that scale. I might have done a one-sided ring before that, but uh, um, I hadn't done a WrestleCast. So it was a big deal for me. And um, I've gone on to, I think I, at last count, I've, I've interviewed something like 31. I think I've worked it out world champions over the over the piece. But at that point, I'd probably only done three or four. And um, I, you know, I thank Rick for being such a professional and being so cool about things. Unfortunately, I had my train booked, and I was freelance at the time, and I had to come uh, come back to uh, to Devon, and I missed the second night's festivities. But there is one thing that stands out, and I can't believe you didn't mention it when you were talking about the uh, the staff in the hotel. Do you remember Rick signing the uh, the tablecloth? Of course. Of course. <laughs> what is the most important thing to remember about what he wrote? In fact, I can almost remember exactly what he wrote, even though I wasn't there. It says something like, Rick Flair... The 16-time world champ, the legend, was here, date, and then a signature. What do you remember about that? Well, I remember, first of all, that we didn't get the tablecloth. Um, I think it went to Jackie, who works, who's the um, celebrity interviewer now for MTV. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But that's all. (laughs) Frankly, Rob, you might have to fill in for me here. He spelled the word legend wrong. <laughs> Rick Flair, who epitomizes the word legend in the wrestling industry, L E D G E N D. 
He can have all the achievements. He can have uh, bedded all the women. He can have all the robes and all the titles and all the grandeur. But I'm a better speller than you, Rick. If you, you can't even spell Rick properly. It's got a K in it. So if he ever wants to, and, he's, and he doesn't spell his surname properly because it's got E's and H's and all sorts of things in it. So I'm calling you out right now. No, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really, really not. Um, right, other rumbles. Let's talk about other, some other rumbles. Are there any others from uh, at any point, maybe from last year? No, not last year, but any point over the last few years, um, all the way back through into the early 90s that stand out for you as being... And when we're talking rumble matches here, I think, not necessarily the whole pay-per-views. Or you can bring, yeah. you can bring that in as well if you like. I think so. If we concentrate on the matches themselves first, obviously, as we've both said, 92 is the crown jewel of Royal Rumble matches. But after that, I would say my two favourites. 2001? Yeah. Well um, up there. Austin's third win. Austin's third win. Yeah. You had The Rock and Austin to finish it. But more than that, you know, I the mark of a good rumble is, I think it's like a pick-a-mix. You know, it's like a box of pick-a-mix. You've got a bit of comedy here. You've got a bit of mid-card feuding over here. You've got some little events going on, and then it all culminates in whoever's going to win in the big showdown at the end. And I think Royal Rumble 2001 probably epitomizes that more than any other rumble, including 92. You had all the comedy stuff with the Honky Tonk Man and K and um, what, whoever else was involved in that. You had The Rock and Austin, who are absolutely, you know, goes without saying, they were the two biggest forces in wrestling at the time, arguably ever. Um, and then just up and down, the, the talent that was in that rumble um, from start to finish was just spot on. The booking was spot on. Um, huge, just hugely enjoyable, top to bottom. The other one, which I feel is a bit of a forgotten classic, um, 1993. Okay. Explain, 1993. Explain your thinking. Well, you look at it subjectively, it kind of had everything. So, again, you've got the previous year's winner coming in early um, and facing Flair. off with, with Ric Flair, sorry, of course, coming in uh, and facing off with Bob Backlund. Backlund himself, um, against all the odds, going almost the distance throughout the rumble match i'm going to cut um, in there i see i always remember um he was well, i always remember i've said subsequently i've seen that match so many times I, i've i know bits of the commentary there's a fantastic bit where heenan and, and monsoon but heenan in particular keeps saying about backland he keeps going 42 years old Making a comeback, 42 years old. Flair was like 41 at that time. <laughs> and it was, uh, Flair was basically the same age and had just been the champ. I know he was just leaving at that point. And then later on in the show, um, Carlos Colon is, a, is an entrant in that rumble. Um, That's right. Primo and Epico, Carlito, part of that family, the, the Colon family from Puerto Rico. Um, Carlos Colon was something about the similar sort of age. You know, he'd been very experienced. I'm, I'm sure there was some sort of uh, little deal going on, which is why he got to come and uh, be an entrant in that rumble. And Monsoon says something about this is quite a showing for this youngster. And it's like, why are everyone in their early 40s youngsters in this thing? Or they're, you know, massively experienced old geezers. They have some consistency. <laughs> but my memories of that one is that, again, I'm nine at this point. I was the biggest Bret Hart fan, still am. But um, I remember that that um, that build to that WrestleMania really uh, intently because you know Brett was the champion. It was probably the first one I remember for um, sort of really getting into it. I was watching the year before, but for really getting into it at uh, eight or nine years old, Rumble '93 into WrestleMania nine, um, which doesn't stand up, I don't think, that through the test of time, WrestleMania nine anyway. 
but um, uh, I think it's got a certain amount of nostalgia, given uh, what, um, if depending on what your age was at the time. But I think it's a good rumble um, as a kid, in the sense that there was always stuff going on. You're right about Flair. If you remember, Mr. Perfect eliminates Flair, and then I think the following night on Raw, one of the really early Raws, maybe the second or third Raw ever, um, Perfect beat Flair, loser leave town, Flair went back to WCW. Yep. Um, so that's in there. Um, that you write the Backland story. Um, you've got uh, Undertaker coming in and then getting uh, knocked out by um, Giant Gonzalez. And and that was to me, you know, that I'll just start. I'll just jump in there as a as an eleven year old kid. As bad as Giant Gonzalez was, and we soon realised was what a moment that was in in isolation in a vacuum. What a shocking moment that was to see this gigantic. El gigantic <laughs> guy come in and just rip the Undertaker to shreds um, right in the middle of the Rumble match. I was literally mesmerised by what was going on. The, the the aura soon wore off, but to yeah. me that was one of the all-time classic Rumble moments. Masterfully called by Heenan. We talked about Heenan in '92 calling that Ric Flair um, performance, but in '93 he was still going very very strongly. And I remember him, you know, going, "What is that?" Not even like, "Who is that?" What is that? And then he, he said something along the line of, oh, do you remember Harvey Whippleman said he was going to drop a bomb? That's the bomb. I went a bit vintage. <laughs> but um, it was, he, he put such good context in it and he sold it like he was, like he was working it out as he went along. I always have a frustration with the, the modern uh, – we're, we're not going to do too much um, critiquing on, uh, on this show as we, as we go forward. We're, we're looking at positives. But one, something that really bothers me about modern announcers, and it's not the announcer's fault. I'm not having a dig at Michael Cole or whoever it might be that, that falls into this trap because I think it's what they're instructed. But someone shocking will appear out of nowhere. It might happen in this Rumble that they won't, you won't have seen them in seven years and they make a surprise entrance in the Rumble and Michael Cole knows all their history and tells you when they were last there and when they did this and when they did that. <laughs> and it's like, I appreciate that you can try and sell it as he's very knowledgeable, but he's clearly reading it. And it's like, it just takes you right out of the moment. But Heenan, you know, Jim Ross obviously is the, is the king, but Heenan was so, so good at selling the right moment to say he was immer- you know, immersed in the moment. He was trying to make it, you know, credible. And I think all of those things, especially again, to a young viewer, when you're really in the product. I mean, I, I always think that I don't think I ever at any point really believed it was real. I don't really think I had that. I think I was kind of clued in when I first started watching, even at such a young age, I knew that it was more like a TV show, like a movie, like a cartoon than it was an actual contest. I think I knew that, but that doesn't stop you getting into storylines. And, you know, at that point I was really hooked by all that. Then you've got Yoko Zuna um, you've got um, um, Randy Savage towards the end being one of the competitors. And I think if you go back and look at it and, you know, be a bit cold and a bit, uh, you know, calculating about analysing it. It's almost, you know, I think if, if the same situation came today, we'd all pretty much be able to see that uh, the Yoko Zuna was going to win. But when you're young and actually when you're not, a bit more naive and you've not got the internet bloody ruining everything for you, by because we all can't help but look at things, we'd probably have looked at sites by now and seen that, um, that Rick, we knew that Ric Flair was going back to WCW. You'd have had a moment like... Brock and Goldberg at WrestleMania, where everyone knew that they were leaving, and basically shit all over the match. You wouldn't. Right. You, you probably would have had people doing that at the 1993 Royal Rumble to Flair and ruining the damn thing. So maybe it was a nicer, more naive age for for things like that, or maybe that's just because we were kids. Maybe people did know Flair was going, and I've just erased that from my memory. And who can forget the, uh, in my opinion, the greatest of all time, Macho Man Randy Savage going for the pin 
in the Royal Rumble and subsequently getting launched over the top rope by Yokozuna. Shame on you, Macho Man. You deserved that. <laughs> This is this is the point where some people would burst into a Macho Man impression, and I really, really can't do one, so I'm not going to try. I, um, I value my dignity yeah, slightly sh- more than that. Shout, shout out to Johnny Byrne if he's listening for his uh, <laughs> extraordinary Macho Man costume at uh, your 30th birthday. Uh, um, for other, um, I, I was going to I was going to cite that one as well because I've got my fond memories of it as a as a kid. Whistling through a couple of others, I think '97 is a pretty good rumble. Um, it's um, it's sort of Im- it's the emergence of, of Steve Austin. There's some I've certainly heard some suggestions. Even very recently, I was listening to the uh, the Bruce Pritchard pod- uh, podcast this week, where he talks about the Rumble '97. And apparently, the original plan was that Brett was going to win up until very very close to the event, and they changed it and had Austin, you know, in that sort of screwy finish. But go back and look at that '97 Rumble and look at the last eight to ten competitors. Oh, absolutely. And it is they might not have been stars at that point. You've got people like um, Glenn Jacobs, who is now Kane as the fake um, fake Diesel at that point. Um, but you've got Rocky Maivia only a few months after debuting. He's there. You've got Mankind. You've got Undertaker, Vader, Brett, Steve Austin, um, Terry Funk. There's so many great talent around. Savio that Vega. Uh, no, he was eliminated earlier. I'm talking about right. <laughs> I'm talking right at that point. Not that he wasn't very good, Savio Vega, but I'm saying, I'm talking about huge megastars, world champions, future Hall of Famers. Of course, of I think course. the only one that's in that little group at the end that's not of that kind of level, and he was a good wrestler, is Flash Funk, Too Cold Scorpio, who was, is in that little run at the end. But apart from that, it's a hell of a roll call, and and it's a good Royal Rumble match, I think. Um, I like 2001, as you mentioned, and I think. I think it's 2003. I'm not great with the years, I have to say. But when, was Lesnar versus Angle WrestleMania 19? Yes, it was. Okay, well, in that case, it's, it's 2003 Rumble then. The one that Lesnar won um, is a really, really good Rumble. It's, it's, a, just, it's, just, it's not necessarily full of standout, fantastic moments, but there's just a steady stream of very, very good talent. And then, um, you know, towards the end... Um, you know, it sort of go, it gets to the, the the big guys really. I think it's Undertaker and Kane and Batista and Brock, as I recall. But um, it's just I I really like that Rumble for for the talent that's in it. I think it really stands out. And then another one, just jumping forward a few years, and it's one that won't uh, won't get mentioned by the um, by the authorities, as it were, and uh, rightly so. But the one that Benoit won, which is presumably the following year, because it was WrestleMania 20, wasn't it, where he won the title? That's right. Is yeah. that, that's a really good rumble. Again, it's the talent that makes it, I think. I seem to recall you had Benoit and, and the big show as the last two, but all surrounding that, the ones just before, were Jericho, Angle, RVD, I think, Eddie, maybe. There's a whole bunch of great... Not Eddie, because he would have been in the title match, but there's a whole bunch of really, really seriously good... Um, good talent around at, uh, at that point in that rumble. I think that stands out for me when I go back and watch things over and over, is it stands out that when there's a serious amount of talent around, they can carry it through. Well, I agree. And there's an argument to be made that that is the best booked Royal Rumble um, of all time. You know, and you've, you know, you only need to look at, like, one guy you didn't mention in there was Goldberg, um, where I believe that was where Lesnar came back in and got him eliminated. I think you're right. Um, so, yeah, echoes of this year, maybe. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the, the roster back then was just so cool. You know, you had, you know, the world's greatest tag team were in there. Like you say, Cena starting off, Angle, Rikishi, who was a big favourite of mine. I know he wasn't everybody's. And just all the way down the card, like Tajiri, guys like that, Randy Orton. Um, 
just phenomenal. And everyone seemed to have their place on that in that Rumble match. And, you know, I know, again, I know it's been tainted massively now, but can you remember how cool it was when Benoit won? Just what a moment that was for guys who'd been fans of him for years and years. Um, I know, like you say, we can't really have that same feeling now, but right then it was just the best feeling at the end of a Rumble match you could ever imagine. Let's nip this in the bud now. The Benoit story is the worst story that's ever happened to the wrestling industry. It's one of the worst stories I've ever heard on, any, on any front. We are not trying to make um, Chris Benoit into any sort of real-life hero. What happened, happened. You all know the story. And for anyone that ever says that um, Benoit should go in the Hall of Fame, don't be ridiculous. But Agreed. at the time, wonderful wrestler, you know, someone that people really, really got behind, just had some sort of... He might not have been a great promo guy, but man, what charisma and... I always felt realistic. I felt like I, the only thing I didn't like about Benoit, and I hate, hate saying this and being niggly because it comes into the, you know, we talked about flair as well, is I hated Benoit using chops. I always thought that someone like Benoit wouldn't use a chop. He would hit them. He wouldn't use a backhand. He would he would punch them. That always frustrated me. I didn't think that looked realistic. But that aside, I just thought everything Benoit did looked like a fight. It didn't look choreographed. It didn't look like, you know, overly flippy, but it looked like a fight. He sold like a you-know-what. I remember that, was it uh, a Money in the Bank match where he sold his arm like something chronic? It was yes. so, so good at those kind of things. And like I say, we're not going to do, too, oh, hopefully we'll not do too much Benoit chat on this because it does create a bit of a thorny issue. But nowhere we're coming from. We are in no way um, trying to, you know, you know, make anything lighter than it was towards the end because it really was horrible the final thing i will say about benoit is to everyone that comes along to our um, parties do not call your quiz name quiz benoit <laughs> we Bindle. have heard it don't call it quiz jericho don't call it you know quiz team aguilera aguilera or uh, any of those um, other ones that everyone i know she's not a wrestler but that's what people call quiz team names and don't call it norfolk and chance and don't call it any of those old rubbish names you will not win prizes but we have had some absolutely belting um uh winning teams uh, from our uh, the, from a perspective of uh, the best team names so uh, do put your thinking caps on for uh, for that quiz um and if you uh, if you are jumping into the middle of this podcast what i'm talking about is the pub quiz which is a real staple um of the hooked on wrestling hooked on events nights that are all around the country for this year's uh, royal rumble we'll be talking a little bit more about it uh, later on in the show but i just want to uh, keep on reminding you while we're here that we are here to do business but we're also here to talk about some rumbles. I think we'll, we'll draw a line over some of the old rumbles now, Paul, because we want to keep on doing this in weeks to come. We're going to bring on some guests and get them to talk about their favourite rumbles um, and so forth. But let's have a little sure. chat about this year's in particular. In the future, I want to talk about some uh, some non-rumble matches. We were just talking about the rumble matches there. We'll talk about some um, non-rumble matches. We'll talk about some great moments on the pay-per-views and all that kind of thing. But sticking with the Royal rumble match theme... Yeah. Are you excited for this year's one from what you know so far? I know it's only Brock and Goldberg, only Brock and Goldberg, it's only two enormous stars that had a, you know, <laughs> had a marquee match last time that everyone's talking about. But um, are you excited already? I mean, some people will say you're always excited for the Royal Rumble match. Last year there was some bits about, you know, obviously AJ making an appearance. But the last three, I think, Rumble matches have been very, very tainted. Twice because people wanted Daniel Bryan to win and he and he wasn't even in it, or he was eliminated very cheaply. And then last year, because people couldn't really get around the Reigns thing. The funny thing is, if you watch the Rumble from three years ago, Reigns is the big baby face at the end. People, Reigns is the one that people want to win rather than Batista. And then fast forward a year, 
and it's Reigns getting hell for for you know for for two um, two rumbles straight, in a row, yeah. and then obviously the Daniel Bryan stuff. So there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of negativity over those shows, and actually I would argue that I'm not going to say the crowd have ruined um, those rumbles because they have a right to speak their mind, but I would say the last three rumbles have been pretty disappointing at the time for for a lot of fans and whether it's because whether you enjoyed the show or enjoyed the match but the fans ruined it or whether you were one of those fans and felt that the booking ruined it i think the rumble has gone through a bit of a fallow period over the last three years are you confident they can come out of it can you see past all those little things and does what you know so far about goldberg and brock get the juices flowing do you know um the royal rumble is the one time in a year where it kind of feels like a bit of a reset and, you know, you always think the possibilities right now, as we're sitting, you know, in December, anything could happen in the Royal Rumble. And you let yourself think of all the amazing scenarios that could play out, the potential surprise entrants, the potential winners. And in my opinion, it, it delivers more often than not. So I'm right in that spot now where I'm thinking, right, we're what, five, six weeks away from the Royal Rumble. And it's a blank canvas. It's going to so it's going to be a great great rumble now it might play out slightly differently as we go along but as you said earlier we've got brock and we've got goldberg both declaring their entrance straight away boom brilliant interest there but more importantly and i know you'll probably come on to this in a second but there is a lot of potential winners there are quite a few um i think i i actually haven't physically written them down but i had a little think about it knowing that uh, we were going to be chatting tonight oh i should say by the way that we are talking Paul and I are having this conversation right now. I don't know when we're going to put this out exactly by the time it's all put together and, and out there in the wide world. But we are talking on Sunday night. Um, uh, what is it? The 18th. We are talking uh, literally only a couple of hours before the, the roadblock pay-per-view uh, starts. So um, we might say something very stupid in a minute about someone being a champion and it actually turns <laughs> out that they've uh, lost their belt, at, uh, lost their title, lost their championship at uh, roadblock. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, that's that's when we're talking. Um but I think that um, what you're saying about the potential winners, I, I've sort of thought about who I think can win it. And I've got a list of about five or six, I think, you know, realistically. And some of them, it's that whole thing of, you know, you look at a, uh, a Rumble match and sometimes the people that aren't in it are more likely to win than those that are in it, if you know what I mean. Mm. And it's because yeah. there, there is this surprise element. One I was going to say when we were talking about the um, our favourite Rumble matches and moments was... Um, again, I'm, I'm not always good on remembering exactly the year, but I think it's around about 2005 or six. Um, the Rumble in, in Madison Square Garden, we're seen as the surprise number 30. Um, yep. And one of the reasons I love it so much is because that reaction from that crowd in Madison Square Garden. By the way, don't let this is another tangent. Don't let people tell you that Madison Square Garden fans always know what they're doing, right? In 1996 at the Survivor Series, did they love Brett versus Steve Austin? Yeah, they did. Great wrestling match, great finish. Although it was rehashed from the Piper match, but wonderful, wonderful match between those two. That crowd loved it. They shit all over Rocky Maivia, who turned out to be one of the biggest stars in the history of the industry, and they booed Shawn Michaels and cheered Sid. They didn't know what they were talking about 20 years ago. However, on that night at the uh, at the Royal Rumble when Cena appeared out of nowhere, the reaction was a proper huge megastar reaction for Cena, for him coming out at 30. It Part of that reaction was the fans, you know, subconsciously maybe going, you know what, WWE, you got us. 
you got us on that one. That's not long after, actually, the, the Cena interview on WrestleCast that I was talking about earlier where he mentioned The Rock. And on that, I remember him saying, you know, I'm injured. I may just make it back for WrestleMania, but I'm not necessarily hopeful. There he is, number 13, the Rumble. You got us, WWE. Nice one. But the reaction is a superstar reaction. And then within seconds, they go, oh, no, wait, we hate this guy. <laughs> so that's a lot of fun. Um, but getting, getting back to topic, sometimes it's the people that you're not expecting uh, are the ones that um, uh, you think that you will, that will win, as it, as it were. That's twisted logic, but wrestling fans will understand me when I say that. To the point where Daniel Bryan was the bookie's favourite two years ago, or three years ago, and he never even wrestled in the match. He lost that night to Bray Wyatt and then never appeared in the Rumble match. Everyone's expecting Daniel Bryan. They get wrestled. Oh, you've never heard Rey Mysterio booed so much in one night when he came out at number 30. Poor old Rey. It's not his fault that he's not Daniel Bryan. Um, and that was the that was the thing that put pay to him. So I think on the on my list of they might win, I'm not certain I've got more than one or two that are actually likely necessarily to be in it. Does that sound strange? Not at all. And I think the it's it's a hard thing booking the winner of the rumble in a lot of ways because people don't want an obvious winner, but you put it too far out of left field, and and people don't want to see that either. You know, I remember in the early days of our hooked on parties when you got guys like Sheamus and Del Rio winning and they were both out of nowhere, both unexpected, but the crowd kind of went, we didn't really want that. There's a pool of guys that the crowd wants to win. And if, and if one of them pulls it out, that's not the Uber favorite and that's the sweet spot, but I don't envy anybody having to put this match together. It's got to be hands down the hardest match of the year to put together to keep everyone happy. It really has. And in terms of keeping people happy, I'm trying to remember when the last time someone won the Rumble that, dare I say, I hate saying this term, I'm going to shoot myself later for saying this term. (laughs) But the smart internet fan, as it were, you know, who they would want to win. And I don't think that's necessarily a majority, but those pay-per-views, it often is a large percentage. I don't think any of them would have necessarily... I think certainly that Seamus one was, that was a big Jericho's going to win this night. Um, And Seamus won... Um, but Del Rio, Cena, remember Cena winning because it set up a, a match with uh, with The Rock at WrestleMania. Um, yep. That was kind of telegraphed because The Rock had won, had won against CM Punk already. Um, was that, our, that might have been our first Rumble party. I'm not certain if it was. It was, it was, it was an early one. If it wasn't the first, it was I the second. I think it was. I think it was the first. We'll come back to that. Um, but um, for all of those things, um, you know, Seamus, Del Rio, Cena, Batista, Reigns, I'm not certain that they've necessarily been uh, big and um, popular winners so i think maybe there's maybe there's one or two more candidates this year that uh, that could go over a little bit better i think i can answer your question by the way i think the last one that was universally loved was uh, probably edge in uh, 2010 is it as long ago as that yeah wow yeah. So that's that's a that's a fair point i mean it, it may well be as uh, as far back as that that uh, it really got that sort of reaction and and i think that the edge victory the scene of victory the someone out of nowhere that you're not expecting to be in the rumble but you're sort of secretly expecting to be in the rumble i think that brings us on to finn balor i think he's he's one that people are talking about is finn balor fit and if he is fit is he going to be a good candidate for drawing maybe a late number and, and winning the rumble my opinion is we don't see finn balor um, I just, I got a funny feeling that he's, this isn't a, a work. This is, um, a decent long-term injury. Having said that, if he, if we are being played slightly, yes, fantastic. You know, the reaction to him would be amazing. Um, 
and a great story to tell as well in coming back and taking the belt off Owens potentially. Um, so yeah, I'd be all thumbs up for that. Again, we're we're talking this before the roadblock pay per view. So if uh, if Owens has uh, has lost to Roman Reigns, I suppose there is time for people to get their belts back, and there are ways of telling stories to to WrestleMania. But yeah, certainly you feel that if Owens holds on, then that could be uh, a story that gets told. One of the things that's opened up to them, of course, this year is the fact that they're back on the brand split. The fact that someone that wins the Rumble this year, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an absolute megastar. Um, there's only one way you can go at WrestleMania between this guy and this guy. Um, so it might well be that they can find someone that's maybe ever so slightly further down the list and they can tell a secondary story with them. Um, and to that end, am I going absolutely mad to think that wouldn't it be an incredible way to debut someone at the Royal Rumble, have them make an incredible performance and win it? <laughs> and that man is Shinsuke Nakamura. Could Nakamura debut in the Rumble, win the Rumble, and then wrestle AJ Styles at WrestleMania in a match that was at the Tokyo Dome big show for uh, New Japan and then comes two or three years later to WrestleMania? What a reaction that would get. That's my first thought to that. If that happens, I would want to be nowhere else other than our parties because I can't imagine a bigger cheer from that crowd than Nakamura A coming out in a rumble and B winning a damn thing. Be amazing. I will say that you could debut Nakamura and have him put up a great performance and not win. I think I think Balor's one of those ones that if you bring Balor back as a surprise, he almost has to win. Unless someone dastardly like Owens who ends up in the Rumble screws him out of it and then you can lead to that match later down the line. Balor kind of has to win if he comes back. Nakamura, I don't think so. I think Nakamura, you can still tell a great tale and debut him looking like a, a, a hero just like they did in certain ways. Not fully, but in many ways with AJ last year. And while talking about AJ, actually, I, I will say in, in slight contradictory terms to what I was talking about um, earlier on in the podcast about knowing too much you know going back to those those uh, shows where you didn't know so much last year there was a big buzz going into the Royal Rumble that AJ Styles was going to be in the Rumble it was known in the build up that uh, that AJ that the Bullet Club that Nakamura looked like they were WWE bound and they'd worked out their notice with with New Japan and they were heading to WWE and it was pretty well known at that point that there was a at least a 50-50 chance that AJ was going to be in the Rumble but it wasn't a absolutely nailed on we know he's going to be in it it was a he might Mm. he might not so because of that anticipation rather than i know what's going to happen the reaction when he did come out certainly where we were was really really spine tingling i thought and i i make a point sometimes of watching i'm a bit of a people watcher and it's not that i'm not excited by the event that's on the screen but I will watch people as much as I can to see their reaction. And it really was a I mean, I've got goosebumps on my arm now thinking about it because not only do I sort of think, you know, we did this, mate, me and you, we put all these people in this place <laughs> and we've, uh, we've got this experience, but to watch people just get so excited for that kind of moment when AJ came through the curtain, I think they did it really well in terms of you didn't recognize the music and obviously it was the hood and they sold it really well on comms. I thought that was a really, really epic moment. And I, I don't use that fantastic. very often. Fantastic. And credit where credit's due to WWE, having him come out so early was what nailed that. The crowd was still really up for it. They were still really buzzing off the start of the Rumble. I think it was he, was he number three? I think he, he was three, out? yeah. Because um, yeah. Reigns was forced into being 
one, wasn't he, or one or two because of the the slip about defending his title. And I, I forget who he, I think he threw out whoever was number two quite early, and then yeah, Styles was his. Um, That's and and three. it was just yeah, you you put that that early number against Roman Reigns, who we all love to hate, um, and nailed it absolutely perfect. Um, and, and what a year he's had as a springboard from that. But funny enough, going back to what you were saying about um, Nakamura winning the Rumble, I actually thought you were going to say Samoa Joe because exactly the same thing could apply. Well, it, it really could. And he is the next one that I'm going to say. The only reason I wouldn't say is that I can see them looking at Nakamura and thinking the age that he is, the demographic he offers. Here's an important fact about Nakamura that's really worth paying attention to in terms of WWE's eyes is that there's been a whole thing for years of... Here's a Japanese star, not just in WWE, but TNA too, when you think about how they chronically underused um, Okada. I know Okada wasn't as good as he is now when he was in TNA, but they chronically underused him, and he went back to Japan and was essentially their biggest star. Yeah. Um, or one of the top two or three, anyway. Um, but there's been a big history of um, you know, the Japanese stars being you know, used in the middle somewhere rather than being really pushed. But a lot of them haven't spoken good English. And WWE have always, and WCW as well, have always really, really valued someone that can even cut a short promo. Nakamura speaks good English. Now, it's not in a clear tone like they might want, but it's good English. If you've listened to the Nakamura um, episode of Chris Jericho's podcast, it's really fascinating because Jericho goes into that sort of Japanese lingo that the, uh, the gaijin would do. And it's really interesting to listen to. But it is clear. You understand what Nakamura is saying. And not only that, he has the most charisma of a wrestler that I can ever remember seeing. And I, I don't, again, say that lightly, but I knew I'm not an aficionado of Japanese wrestling. Um, I watch the um, I tend to watch the big New Japan shows as much as I can. And I'll catch a few matches online. But I, you would say you would say some big names in Japan to me and I wouldn't know who you mean. I might see them and remember. But the first time I saw Shinsuke Nakamura, I just was mesmerized by the guy. And when he was coming to WWE, I told many, many people, you may have been one of them, I'm not sure. I told a lot of people, this guy is incredible. He's the best thing you'll see this year. Um, and people said, well, I haven't seen him yet. And then when they did see him, went, oh, mate, you were right. And that's not me being a, <laughs> an absolute genius in, in wrestling. Clearly, anyone that sees him just goes, wow. And he might not be a 10-year main eventer, but he's the kind of person, look at what WWE have done this year with AJ. I think AJ has really, really surpassed my expectations. I've known he's been good for many years, but I didn't think in his last couple of years with TNA he was as good as he used to be. Mm-hmm. He did well with them um, with Japan, but I thought, oh, they can they've maybe hidden some of his you know failings as he's getting a bit older. He's lost his spring. Goodness me, no, he's as good as anyone in the world right now. And WWE haven't been afraid to go with him and put him in in important positions. I still think he's misused. I still think he's a babyface, and I still think Reigns is a heel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the fact that they've been able to go with someone like AJ makes me think they could go with someone like Nakamura. I don't think they're going to go anywhere near as far as that with Joe because I just don't think he fits their he fits their ideals. Not because he's not you know six foot four and in wonderful muscles because I do think they would be happy using Joe. Six months ago, I'd have told you he's never going to be on the main roster. He's just a you know, a mechanic on the NXT. Now I think there is a fair chance he could come onto the roster. I just don't think they'd look at him and say, he's someone that's in our top two or three matches at WrestleMania and is someone we're going to use for a long period of time. I think they would do with Nakamura. And that's why I favor him over Joe for that storyline. But how incredible would it be 
Paul, you're a TNA guy, you know, from that era, you work close with TNA. Me and you have spent time together on TNA tours mm. and getting to know some of the boys and hanging around. And we, you know, TNA was a, a in its day, you know, maybe I would say the era just before Bischoff and Hogan came in, maybe at its peak. But around about that time and slightly afterwards, or we didn't know each other at that time, but, you know, slightly afterwards, that TNA really was a family. And we were very much included in that when it comes to the UK thing. So we got to be around things. Would you have been able to say those years ago that there, we could have a conversation in early 2017 that Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles is of something we're even half discussing as a WrestleMania match? That's incredible. Oh, not a shadow of a doubt. We it, it just wouldn't have happened. And I think it literally, you know, the business has changed. We won't get into it here, but the business has changed so much, and the opportunities that NXT is open for a whole different set of guys. Um, means that, yeah, it's a possibility and we would have never seen that coming. Not in a million years. Do you have anyone else that you can uh, you can push as a, as a possible winner? I can think of, aside from a couple of main roster guys, I've got one more sort of out-of-nowhere pick, if you like, but I'll hold that back and let you have a couple of picks now. Uh, well, a couple of picks that I would think, well, one, and again, it all kind of depends on who the champion um, might be at the time, but one possibility that I would love to see win, Chris Jericho. Okay. Chris Jericho. Um, I think it's fairly clear that we've got a face turn coming. I think from Jericho. And I think if Owens were to hold on to the belt or win the belt back or whatever, what a story that would be going in for one of the titles to have Jericho Owens and a feud that Jericho will drive in terms of booking going into WrestleMania. I think it'd be fantastic. And I'd love to see Jericho in a career renaissance be capped, have that cap by winning the Royal Rumble and fighting for the title at WrestleMania. That would be very cool. And again, three or four years ago when Jericho was losing to Fandango at WrestleMania, in asked to put you know Fandango it. over having I think it was there was some plans it was going to be Ryback and ended up being Fandango the idea that Jericho could come back and do what he's done over the I mean I've always been a huge Chris Jericho fan and I am you know privileged you to, have. to have worked with him um, super guy great professional one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in the wrestling industry uh, what a what a guy um, but even I you know couldn't have said that he'd done anything more than just be a facilitator in the mid card but his, and obviously the character work he's done with Owens and, you know, how into him people have got over the last little while, but he can still go. This is the point. He is not, I hate the you still got it thing. Please stop that if you ever sing that. But, <laughs> you know, he is in still in fantastic shape. And if you wanted to go and have a 20, 25 minute epic, Jericho can still do it. And not as a nostalgia thing, he can still do it. Yep, absolutely right. Uh, and then my other pick, I won't win any prizes for originality on this one, but John Cena. Mm-hmm. You've got to look at uh, I think, the t- you know, it's been a while since he's won. I think his image um, in, you know, when we talk about the fans' eyes, we're talking about the people that turn up to our parties because that's the sort of people we've got the mentality of. Uh, I think his image has been hugely rehabilitated over the last two years with his US title run and his step back from the main event. You've got the story of him going for tying of the record for world title wins. Um, I just think, you know, you could put him in there at WrestleMania against Styles, um, potentially Owens, um, The Undertaker, um, and have him challenging for that world title. And I think 
any of those would be great moments. And the Royal Rumble win would be the best way to set that up. Well, I'd love it. I come at this from a slightly different angle. Because uh, there's, there's a, there's a, and I am not claiming credit for this. I have heard it, and I honestly can't remember who I heard say it. I heard it on a podcast or on an interview or something recently. And I, I genuinely am annoyed with myself that I can't remember because I would always give credit rather than trying to take something myself. But I heard someone say this, and it's a fantastic scenario, which is what's the. What's the pay-per-view that's after the... Oh, no, they're probably having two now. Are they, are they having two between the Rumble and WrestleMania, do you know? Um, do you know what? You've got me stumped there. I think... Is, it, is Elimination Chamber well, there's be, normally that later in the year? No, there's normally... Well, there certainly used to be an Elimination Chamber in between anyway, because sometimes they'd use that as the number one contender for the other title, wouldn't they? So um, if there's an Elimination Chamber, having a, maybe a, a surprise entrant in the Elimination Chamber match that Cena could come in and be in that match and win it, and have Cena be the champ, and previously, at the Royal Rumble, the Undertaker comes and wins the Rumble, and then you do Cena versus Undertaker at WrestleMania, title versus career. Now, actually, I'm, I'm slightly altering it because I think that person suggested that Cena wins the Rumble, like you just said. Undertaker comes back and wins the title, and then you've got Cena going for his 16th title. And by the way, sidebar on this one. That is one of the most stupid things in wrestling, as far as I'm concerned. The the idea that if you've won 16, let's let's do some other American sports. If you've won 16 <laughs> World Series, if you've won 16 Super Bowls, if you've won 16 golf majors, if you've won 16 Premier League titles, whatever it might be, 16 Olympic medals, brilliant, well done, because that's a series of different tournaments. If you're a 16-time Raw Rumble winner, 16-time King of the Ring, well done, individual tournaments. 16 <laughs> times the world champion means you've lost it 15 times. It is like walking into a room and going, hello, hi everyone, have you met my girlfriend? We've been out together 16 times. <laughs> but it means, you idiot, that you've broken up with her 15 times. That's not valuing her all that highly now, is it? Anyway, that's my point about that. But if you could have seen it going against Undertaker at WrestleMania on whichever side of that one, whoever wins the Rumble, whoever gets the title in the interim, and then they face off, that is a really, really intriguing scenario, I think, because it's one of those matches where you would think that Cena could go in and win a title and equal it. It would make sense from the story. It would make sense that Undertaker would be around about the time he would want to retire. But there's no suggestion that those things are for definite. Cena can come back from a loss. Undertaker can, you know, go another year. I think you go into that match. And you remember the old days of when you used to go into Undertaker matches at Mania and you'd basically say, well, he's going to win. You know, I, I remember there being a, mm. a match that he had. Who would he have wrestled after... Was it, was it maybe his second Triple H match or something like that? It was the first time that Paddy Power started doing Becky. <laughs> I knew you were going to raise and, this. And you called me and were like, you can get something like 100 quid on one, at one to five or something, and it was worth doing. And it was like we put as much money as we possibly could on Taker and... You know, all right, it was one to five, so you only ended up winning 20 quid or whatever it was, but it was like... It was, it was a lot less than that, mate. I ended up having an accumulation of bets that made two uh, two and a half thousand pounds um, on Taker at odds of one to 20. Okay, well, I've, I've, <laughs> I've misremembered that story in so many ways. But I think perhaps you got on before I did, and by the time I'd got on, they'd realised and they started capping it or something like that. But Possibly. Any, anyway, the point was, was that um, I'm sure it wasn't as much as 1 to 20, but anyway, um, 
the point is, is that it was such a lock. And I remember doing podcasts, running up to WrestleMania a couple of years ago, and saying it's all very well them doing this match with Brock Lesnar, but no one actually thinks that Lesnar's going to win because it's ridiculous to suggest that Lesnar could win. Blah blah blah. Oh my goodness, he won. And now it looked to be, you know, the death knell for want of a better phrase, you know, when regards the dead man to the Undertaker's WrestleMania career. But actually, now we've had a couple of years of separation, and now he's coming and won a couple more matches, albeit sort of tame ones, against people like Bray Wyatt or whatever, Hmm. you now have the situation building up where you don't have to worry about the streak anymore. You don't have to have this, you know, um, mesmerizing 21, 22, 29, 473 and 0, you know, contest. What you do have is a very real, if you build it up in the right scenario, contest where you don't know who's going to win. And you are back to a position where you were lots of years ago with Undertaker, where you could have that kind of competitive match and get sucked into it and enjoy it for a different reason. So I think if you were to go with Cena and Undertaker just as a match, then mm, I'm not sure there is... I mean, it'll still be a great match, I'm sure, and there still be with some intrigue. If you put a career on the line, there's a question mark about it. If you do title versus career... Because I don't really see a reason for just doing a career match. If it's just Cena versus Taker for Undertaker's career, well, unless Cena does turn heel, oh my goodness, that's another conversation. But why would Cena want to take Undertaker's career off him? That's not John Cena's character. John Cena would respect Undertaker. He wouldn't say, I want your career. You know, he would say, you know, I respect you and I want you to carry on. Mm. I'm going to beat you anyway. Um, unless Taker were to do that kind of like, if I can't beat you, then I know it's the time to hang it up or something like that. But if there's a title involved and if there's a, you know, a, maybe it's maybe Foley gets involved, you know, as a general manager or something and does a bit of a, a back and forth with Undertaker and, you know, say, I secretly still hate you for throwing me off of that cell or something like that, because Foley's capable of doing that. And he could chuck in the, OK, it's title versus career, because I really think that's such a a good stipulation if they want to go down that route. It would work. Yep, agreed. Oh, that was, that's very swift. <laughs> yeah, so I, I agree. I think I think you're dead on the money, my friend. I think um, if you if you were to have, it's difficult, isn't it? Because that's going to be the biggest match either of those two's got left at WrestleMania, and the temptation would be to just chuck it out there. Um, Cena versus Taker, bish bash bosh. Um, it would sell pay per views. It would get interest, but really it'd be a bit of a waste. And like you say, you know, you couldn't suddenly flip on the career thing because Cena just, he's not that type of guy. So you have to have that outside factor that comes in. You could do it through Foley uh, or you, you know, more likely through Shane McMahon, possibly um, seeing as he's the SmackDown GM and takers going to be on SmackDown or, you know, there's the, I can't, you, you just don't want to see either of them going heel. Agreed. I think so. I don't think there's any value in... I mean, I've argued against the John heel, John Cena heel turn for... You know, it feels like a decade. Um, and I'm still as staunch as I ever was about it. And my main reason now is because he's not a full-time guy. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not getting any value out of a Cena week-by-week heel turn anymore because he's not there anymore. He's going to be doing the, you know, the coming in and out because he's got other projects and because he's getting older. And I don't blame him for that whatsoever. In fact, it helps his character because if anything, people were getting sick of him. So if he's there here and there, it probably keeps him fresher. And for that, it means that when he suddenly comes back out of nowhere, he's going to get a baby face pop. And if you're trying to turn him, you know, man, it just doesn't work. And I've always said that if people have said, oh, let's turn John Cena heel. Well, what you mean is let's have a character turn. 
let's let's have him drop some of his values and you know let's have him acting like a traditional heel let's say do you know what if you don't like john cena he's already a heel to you that's that's my point on that it's different with reigns because reigns is rejected by almost everybody it doesn't work his mannerisms and stuff he's not a traditional babyface he doesn't cheat necessarily but he doesn't connect like cena does with a certain you know, percentage of the crowd and the the hustle, loyalty, respect, all that kind of thing is an absolutely fantastic message. He's a wonderful hero to kids, etc. Et You've heard all those things a million times before. I'm not patronizing you, but the Cena heel turn to me lets down a lot of his fans on one side of things, dries up a well of merchandise on one side and doesn't give you enough on the other if you were going to then fire into a series of unbelievable matches over the next two years fine but you're not going to do that anymore so there's no point and undertaker being heel just behave it just doesn't work on any level i don't think they tried it a little bit didn't they with the whole brock stuff you know yeah and it just it just fell so flat of him trying to you know pretending to tap and then oh i i i really hated that i thought that was i thought that was really difficult to swallow so no i think what you do is you have two legends go at it and whoever loses is going to stand in the ring and look at the other and shake their hand. And I think it's going to be a great moment. I mean, it's, we're saying it like it's a lock. It isn't. I was convinced of a Cena Undertaker match about four years ago at Mania and it never happened. There's lots of matches I've been convinced about that haven't happened. But if it does, I think you just do it on respect. You do it on these are, you know, <laughs> they did the end of an era thing with Triple H a little while ago, didn't they? And it was a, it was a strange thing to put on as if, you know, that, that was going to be their last match each. But this is a little bit more like an end of an era thing, I think, where if the NXT revolution, if you want to call it that, continues and the fresh people keep coming through and there is a bit of a sea change from WWE on who they are willing to push, then maybe Cena and Undertaker haven't got much more than a couple more manias in them. And it will feel like we, if we're going to do it, we need to do it now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, not to mention that for for varying reasons, these guys just haven't got many more matches left in them. Yeah. Obviously, Cena far more than Taker. But, you know, Undertaker, we talk about becoming wrestling fans in 1991. He'd, he'd been in it almost a year. He'd been in WWE almost a year by the time we started watching 25 years ago. Yeah. this When you talk about the word legend, there's your guy. You know, he's earned everything. Um, and he is coming right to the end of that career now. He's what, how many more WrestleManias has he got? One, maybe two, maybe, but it ain't many Cena, as you mentioned, winding things down, getting outside offers. Um, this will be a sea change. Um, look at the guys in the main events now in Owens and styles and Rollins and Reigns, etc., etc. It's almost as if Cena and Undertaker don't quite fit in today's WWE. They've almost become special attractions by default, not because WWE's positioned them as such, like they do Goldberg and Lesnar and whatnot, but because they are from a different era. Um, And they're just not, you know, they're not part of that NXT revolution, as you put it. So it could be either of them's last hurrah at any point. It could, it could. And it's... um... It's, I think it's exciting to be able to sit here and speculate over these kind of things because it really it's what I think makes WrestleMania is that at this point every year you really start to get your head around what the card could be and 
Um, I'm a big horse racing fan, as you know, uh, Paul, and um, you know the Cheltenham Festival. If you're not a horse racing guy, the Cheltenham Festival is the big sort of not culmination to the, the, the jump season because there's some races afterwards, but it's what everyone seems to build to. And at this stage, there's races going on, and you go, that horse is going to go into that race. Oh, that horse could race against that one in that race. And mm. Mania is a similar thing where you start to everything starts to come together. And what I want to do in a in a future podcast is to maybe try and draft up a bit of a what we think mania could be we'll do our own lineup you know individually see what we, we can pick as a as a card we'll hopefully get a guest to be able to do that as well and then week by week we can you know see how it how it creeps closer perhaps um i think we can save some some of our other rumble chat for future editions we still haven't talked about goldberg and brock we haven't talked about some of the other people on the roster that could win maybe seth rollins maybe roman reigns maybe uh, Randy Orton with um, Bray Wyatt's help or vice versa maybe they'll go with Braun Strowman as the uh, mm. the, the Rumble winner that's a genuine possibility and others Kevin Owens if he loses the title there are lots of uh, different avenues that they can go down we'll talk about all of those um, maybe James Ellsworth we'll talk about all of those in there <laughs> in there in future and listen Dean Ambrose is kind of a forgotten man maybe he can um, sort of like come back and, and win something there are lots of contenders that's pretty cool. We'll talk about that in the future. Um, and I will also, I think we're going to save the um, how the Rumble parties came together stories for the future as well. Because I don't want to throw everything out all in one go. I know we promised it earlier on, but it's the old bait and switch. You're going to have to listen next time uh, to find that out. Because we're going to go towards uh, wrapping this up. Because uh, always keep them wanting more, as you know, Paul. But before we go, I want I realized something we left off earlier on. It's a very important thing that we need to talk about. Is how can people get their tickets for the Rumble parties? Like we said earlier on, a night packed full of things. There are different um, individual bars. I'm not going to put my neck on the line here, but individual bars will have drinks offers on the nights. And then you have um, the quizzes and we have the fancy dress and we have all sorts of stuff going on as well as the big party, uh, the big show itself later on in the night. But how can people get involved? How can they get their tickets now? Okay, guys, there's numerous ways you can get your tickets for the Rumble Party. They're all on sale now best way to get tickets is to go to ringsideworld.co.uk search for hooked on and we will have all the parties listed there all six um so you can get you can get your tickets for london birmingham manchester leeds liverpool or cardiff from ringsideworld.co.uk another way of doing it if you're going to any of the parties except london um, you can call shooters direct um, on their booking line um, you can buy a ticket from there and also book a table package. I think they've got table packages for um, f- £5 on top of the entry fee, which gets you a beer and a burger and a guaranteed seat. And the number to call for that is 0845 533 000. So 0845 533 000. Um, they're the only the ways you can get tickets at the moment we've um we've got early bird tickets on sale um in manchester so you get a slight discount until the end of 2016 by the time this podcast goes out i expect all the early bird tickets for london will have gone because the demand has been absolutely amazing um outstripping any event we've done so far in terms of speed of selling early bird tickets in london even any of the wrestlemanias um so yeah i don't think any early birds are going to be left it's going to be full price tickets only there what i will say is if you are coming to london and you want to sit down book your table now mm-hmm. every it's a huge venue with huge amounts of seating but they all sell out they all get reserved before the uh, before the night 
without question, you know, without exception. Um, so again, it could be that they've all gone by the time you hear this podcast, but if they haven't and you're planning to come, get on the phone to walk about or get on their website and book your table now. Absolutely. Book a ticket, book a table, book a tea. Shucky ducky quack quack, quiet and down in the cheap seats at the back. <laughs> but make sure you do your things in advance. And listen, this is not a, a daft sales technique that we're trying to do here. For the London one in particular, we have done how many of these have we done all told across different venues over the last few years? Probably about fifty, something like that, between forty and fifty, I'd say. You know, all, yeah, probably accumulative in all the different venues. And you know, many of our venues are huge, and we can get a lot of people in. We have only really once before got right to the point where you couldn't pay on the door. That was WrestleMania last year in London. It was absolutely heaving in that particular. We've, we've sold out other ones before when there were smaller venues, but this is a huge. We can get sort of what, what can we get in the, in, the, in Walkabout? About seven or eight hundred. It's a lot, isn't it? Well, it depends. The, the official capacity of the bar is eight hundred. But yeah. we are from previous years. We we went a bit over the top with WrestleMania last year. You learn from your mistakes, and we sold a few too many. To be fair, it was slightly uncomfortable. Um, so we're going to cap it at five fifty. Cool. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, so, anyway, the point is, is that that was the one where we had to um, block it off on the night. You couldn't have entry on the night because it was so busy. That was selling all those. And this Rumble party is selling quicker. So, if you want to come to London, I'm being serious. It's not a you know clever. Let's get you get get you in the door. You need to book in advance to come to the Rumble party in London, um, because. At the moment, it's going to sell out. So you need to get yourself in for that one. And demand is pretty good on all the other ones as well. So get yourself in nice and early. Like Paul says, ringsideworld.com. And you can get those tickets. Look for Hooked On. That's right, isn't it? Uh, yes, ringsideworld.co.uk. uk. I do beg your pardon. I, I heard a little tut on the line. I could tell I'd uh, got something slightly <laughs> wrong. I couldn't work <laughs> out what it was. Um, microphone on the shoulder. A couple of little um, points about the uh, the parties around the country. For one, I'm going to make an apology because I realised about half an hour ago I said England. And, uh, of course, we've got a show in Cardiff. So my apologies. I do know where Cardiff is. It's a wonderful city. So apologies for that. Some people are sensitive. The second thing is you will be thinking because you'll be living somewhere down in the far southwest, down where I am, or up in the north of Scotland or over in the uh, East Anglia or wherever you might be and saying there's no parties anywhere near me. For one... You know, there are transport and you can get to places and it's probably worth your while if you want to come and do it. But secondly, we are exploring other places to go. We're always looking at where we can go. Sometimes we've actually been to your area and we just didn't sell very well. That's why we're not coming back again. Sorry, Plymouth, which is my hometown. But when we ran one there, we didn't sell many tickets. Not many people came along. So you have to go where uh, where the demand is. But, you know, the fact that anyone is running six different parties on one night um, I think is kind of astounding. Part of it's to do with who we can staff it as well. We need to get reliable people to go along and uh, to be able to look after those venues. So all of those things are a challenge. We are still learning, even though we've been doing this for four or five years now. Um, and we do value your feedback. So if you are interested in things occurring, not just at the Royal Rumble party, but at WrestleMania, at SummerSlam, at other future ones we do, ideas for content, ways we can make things better, make sure you get in contact with us and tell us, as long as you're respectful, um, then we are happy to uh, to chat about those things. Paul, what is the social media? How can people contact us and how can they follow us? Yep, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash hooked on events. Um, you can find us on Twitter, HO underscore wrestling, um, ho wrestling, as Rob kindly pointed out just after I launched that. Um, I have always or, been against the Twitter. 
have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> this was became hooked on wrestling many many years ago, and I was very happy with the uh, the branding of how and all that kind of thing. I didn't like. I wanted hooked on W or something like that. But anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> not the point. Anyway, not 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 an intentional pun. Um, and then finally, if you've got any uh, direct inquiries, any suggestions, anything at all, you can reach me on Paul at hookedonevents.co.uk um, and I'll aim to answer your email as quickly as possible. That is the... Say the email address again. It's paul at hookedonevents.co.uk Right, because that is the email. So, Paul, what you're going to now get, as well as some suggestions from the uh, the lovely ladies and gentlemen, you are also going to get quiz answers. That's what's going to come. So yes, I am. Paul at hookedonevents.co.uk because I'm going to come up with the quiz questions and he's going to have to sift through the emails that you all send in because that's the way this partnership works. Um, <laughs> anyway, here are some questions. Like I say, these are tricky. They are deliberately tricky. On the night when we do our wrestling quizzes, we have 40 questions or so. Um, we vary it slightly. Sometimes there's some uh, different interactive portions of the quiz. We change the topics. We change the formats. Um, in almost all of our venues, I think all of our venues, we have screens all the way around the venue. We put some of the questions up there. Sometimes we have other different content. Because on the night, we'll, uh, we'll use those screens not only for, uh, for watching the show as it goes out live. But we've got other, some other classic content during the evening. We'll also utilize it for the quiz. So there's lots of things going on during the quiz. Obviously, we ask at the time, no mobile, no mobile phone use, no cheating, straight in with the questions. And they have to be accessible to a point. We want to challenge you, but not tax you too much. We want to have that balance. The podcast is different. This is where I get a little bit of a chance to go a little bit deeper into some of these questions. If I reel off a couple of questions that you get, bang, 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 where's the fun in that? Lots of TV shows, you this morning's of the world, will ask you the most easy question in the world just to get them on the phone line that's not what we're about so in order to earn your two tickets at any of our Royal Rumble parties across the country of your choosing and what we're going to do basically is we are going to take all of the highest amounts of correct answers and then pull one out at random to choose who gets the uh, the prizes you might not need to get all three there are there have a bit of a difficulty that maybe two will get you through but here are the questions then. So you take a, you know, take a note of these. Some of them are uh, Googleable, as it were. Some of them are a little bit Google-proof. But um, here are your questions. You've not heard these, Paul, have you yet? So uh, you're going to uh, have a little bit of a challenge yourself, mate, as I, um, as I do these for you. I wait um, with bated breath. Okay, so number one. Number one. Why was a Robert Redford film from 1984 directly or indirectly linked with Goldust? Half of Doom, Cyrus, Bret Hart, and the alternative to the Alternative Express. I'm going to read that again. That is not your traditional who won the title from, you know, Bret Hart in this year, is it? This is the question again. Why was a Robert Redford film of 1984 directly or indirectly linked with Goldust, Half of Doom, Cyrus, Bret Hart, and the alternative to the Alternative Express? That is the tricky Number one question, but I think with a little bit of digging around and a little bit of lateral thinking, you can get to that one. A little bit of an explanation in the answer needed, but if you uh, if we know that you're on the uh, on the right lines with that one, then uh, that's good enough. Question two: Why was and I'm not going to spell this, but why was actually I will because I'll pronounce it wrong. Why was Elurapoda Milana Luca good for TNA but bad for WWF? Why was Elurapoda Milana Luca Good for TNA, but bad for WWF. Those words are 
A-I-L-U-R-O-P-O-D-A and M-E-L-A-N-O-L-E-U-C-A. That is a, I'll give you a clue that that is, a, that is a Latin term for something. If you find out what that Latin term is, it might help you towards the answer. And number three, name the wrestler who had only one Rumble appearance where he lasted the longest time of anyone that year but didn't win. So that is one wrestler who competed in only one Royal Rumble match. In that match, he was the competitor that lasted the longest time, but he did not win and he was never seen in a Rumble match again. Those are your three questions. They are deliberately hard. If you are scratching your head and saying, wow, there's no way I can get those, do you know what? You can. A little bit of research, a little bit of lateral thinking, push yourself, find out some answers, send it in to paul at hookedonevents.co.uk. If you get all three, you'll definitely go into the draw for those tickets. If you only get two or even one, it's still worth entering because if you are amongst the higher uh, entries, we will still do the, uh, the random draw and uh, to see if you get those prizes. I will remind you once again, on the night, the questions are not that hard. That is a deliberate <laughs> thing for this podcast. But they are, would you say, Paul, It's because you're the question setter for the majority. So would you say it's, it's, a, it's challenging but accessible? Yeah. You know, obviously we've got a broad range of people and some guys like us have been watching wrestling for 20 years. Some have been watching for 20 minutes. So we try and make sure there's a nice balance. Some you'll know straight away. Some you'll scratch your head. Um, we just want to make sure that no one's sitting there with a blank look on them on their faces for 40 minutes. Having said that, Rob, I consider myself a fairly knowledgeable bloke when it comes to wrestling and a bit of a, a nerd for general knowledge. I would have got zero out of those three you just gave me. So, uh, yeah, thumbs up there, mate. How long some... have you had to digest those questions? Well, not very long. And if About I go two and a half minutes. Research, yeah, exactly. I'm sure I could figure something out. But I uh... expect a text from you within the hour saying <laughs> that you've got at least a couple of them. Because you, my friend, are a clever man and you will use a little bit of lateral thinking and put it together. We're going to do some other questions in, uh, in future editions of this podcast uh, and give you some more chances to win some tickets to our Royal Rumble parties as we go. A reminder that the Royal Rumble parties take place in six different venues all around the country. They are fun evenings. You can turn up early in the evening and you can enjoy yourself all the way through uh, to the uh, around about 4 a.m. Uh, when the pay-per-views end. The uh, bars are open for your, um, for your enjoyment all the way through. Please drink responsibly and please uh, behave yourself. We have had very, very few flashpoints uh, in the past, but we uh, we have had to uh, move a couple of people along for being either too drunk or just a bit leery. But it almost never happens. It is a very, very isolated thing. It's, it's literally a couple, isn't it? It's and on that same note, just one thing we haven't said yet that we must point out, over 18s only, guys. Yes. Their bars, very strict on that. If you're under 18 or you're going to be under 18 on the night of the 29th of January, do not buy a ticket. You will be asked for ID. Yes, you absolutely will. And it's um, it's very important. Not, um, you know, oh, my mate got the tickets, etc. I didn't know this. It's, it is, uh, and it is, you are not guaranteed to get your money back either. If you've, um, if, uh, if you've paid and you can't get in, that's uh, unfortunately uh, an issue with yourself. So please be careful when, uh, when you're doing so. Uh, fancy this, we haven't really talked about the fancy dress um, too much it's not um, by any means compulsory and um, what I think a lot of people do is they put on their favorite wrestling shirt that is absolutely encouraged get those wrestling shirts on uh, and come along 
But um, for those that want to go the whole hog and do a little bit of dress up, we have had some fantastic costumes. People have come in groups. I can think of uh, one particular group of uh, two lads and a girl in London that have come as their M&M and the Hardys and Lita and uh, other things as a group. Although if you're on your own, you can... uh, uh, you can come along and, and pick your costume of choice. We will be giving some prizes away to the absolute best, but you don't have to come in order to try and win the prize. You can just join in the spirit. It's how we started. We're going to talk to you a little bit about uh, in, in future podcasts about how uh, I was dressing up like Wally's in a flat in uh, in Camden. That led to all of this stuff. There's a little bit of a hook for next time. Um, but if you want to come in and join in uh, with with the spirit of it, please do, because it's so much fun. And it is the one time you can dress up in a leotard with polka dots and blacken your eyes and dye your hair blonde and call everyone baby. And no one will laugh. At you. Well, I'll, well, they'll laugh at you a little bit, but for the majority, you will be accepted as the great Dusty Roads, and you will not be. Uh, well, yeah, you got to get there, I suppose. So you might be funny in your Uber on the way there and back, but uh, other than that, uh, <laughs> it'll be great fun for you. Um, what's been your favourite costume that you've seen, Paul, other than one that you've worn? My favourite costume. Well, I mentioned earlier about the uh, the guy that. Well, the two guys that came as Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the spray painted WCW title. That's going to take some beating. Um, we've had a couple of fantastic, fantastic Finn Balors. I would say my favourite that I've ever seen would be. It's a tough one, this, but I'm going to go with when we had the uh, the Nation of Domination a couple of rumbles back. And they just pulled it off to an absolute T. Now, do you mean... See, I was thinking about something similar, but do you mean when they came as the Nation of Domination, or do you mean when people came as the DX Parody <laughs> Nation? Because there was a I DX mean, Parody Nation. It's the DX Parody version. You, I stand correct. It's the DX Parody version that had me rolling. Um, yeah, just absolutely first class, that one, wasn't it? Lateral thinking. Talk about lateral thinking. That was a brilliant example. Yeah, so uh, think outside the box a wee bit if you can. We have seen a lot of uh, a lot of costumes, and we may possibly be more uh, inclined to be favourable if it's something original. But that said, it's the crowd that choose. We always say to the crowd, cheer and boo the uh, uh, the fancy dress contestants as we bring them up onto a stage. This is certainly in the London one, and uh, it ha- we do it in uh, other similar ones across the country. But we'll um, we'll ask you to come up and uh, to show off your wares in front of everyone if you want to. It's not a, a, a necessary. Uh, part of uh, of doing so but um it's certainly worth doing and it's part of the the, uh, the great spirit of the night if you're not going to dress up that's absolutely cool but just put on your best wrestling shirt come and join us wherever you want to and be part of what genuinely has become one of my favorite well, three or four of my favorite days of the year um, when we get to do this, it is like being with 500 mates watching the wrestling. And I cannot think of a uh, a better thing than that. Before we go, as we are about to wrap up, and uh, like I say, we will be back in, uh, in a few short days a week's time to um, follow on from this, talk some more Rumble stuff, to talk some more about the Rumble parties. Paul, I want to talk to you about the WWE United Kingdom Championship and Tournament that's coming Ooh, in the new year. Yes. That Hooked On intends to go to. That is very exciting. That is definitely on the agenda for the next podcast can't wait to talk to talk a little bit more about that um and indeed uh wherever you are make sure you're enjoying your wrestling support uk indie wrestling it's very very important watch whatever you want support the network it's a fantastic product all of those things because our mantra paul is it's wrestling enjoy it amen yep most important thing is 
positivity around these parties is immense. It's something we want to encourage. We want people to be loving the events, loving wrestling uh, in whatever form that might be. Um, you know, we've got a great community on our social media feeds. We don't really tolerate cynicism or digs or whatever is very quickly wiped out this is about celebrating what we all love so if that's you get yourselves down on january the 29th it does not mean that if uh, if you think that the uh Royal Rumble is about a five out of ten, and you say so on your uh, on on our Facebook page that you will be ostracised forever. You are banned, allowed banned are, for good. No, 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 no. <laughs> you are allowed to be mildly critical, but the point is, so many places are just full of whinging about every little thing. Celebrate the fact that it is something that is there to be enjoyed, both live and in your living room, wherever it may be, to enjoy it. Coming up next on the podcast, we will be talking more next time about how these podcasts, uh, how these shows came together, some more stories about what me and Paul have been up to uh, in the world of wrestling over the last few years and some of our favourite stories. We'll talk about some more Rumble contenders for this year. We will talk about some more of our favourite Rumble matches outside of the Rumble match themselves and all sorts of other goodies. We've got plenty lined up over the next few weeks, including some great guests as well. So we are very much looking forward to all of those things. You can join in. uh, You can send us email via, as we said before, paul at hookedonevents.co.uk or we're going to put some uh, some threads up on our social media where you can leave us questions or or suggestions or anything like that regarding the podcast in specific. Um, And it'll be great to hear back from you on that kind of thing. We are not going to be too self-indulgent on this podcast, but if you would like to hear a story, if you would like to say, Rob, what was it like when you met so-and-so? Paul, what was it like to work in TNA and meet this guy? We are happy within reason we're not going to make five hour podcasts of just us telling our own stories um but if you are if you want to hear some of those kind of things we will integrate it as you wish paul it's so nice to be back on the uh, on the podcasting airwaves once again i have missed it like you wouldn't believe um it's nice to be back on here with you as well mate and i look forward to uh, to spending some time talking about wrestling today in the past and in the future on hooked on wrestling's new hooked on podcast my friend it's been great to talk to you any final words for the hooked on crew well all i will say is that now i've done a podcast with you rob i can see exactly why the one-sided ring was so popular mate as great as you are at hosting our events you're just as good at doing these podcasts it's been a pleasure thanks for holding my hand through it no, there you go and we got just over an hour and a half through a podcast and everyone's just thrown up at the end and, uh, <laughs> a little bit of self-congratulatory i did a hundred one-sided rings you know that exactly a hundred <laughs> and uh, and everyone's already sitting there going What's he talking about? Are the ones, what's the one-sided ring? I'll tell you now at another time, everyone. But uh, for now, from me and from Showbiz Paul Benson, this has been the Hooked On Podcast. And remember, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. <laughs>